Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is author and columnist Jeff Hayden. Jeff is a contributing editor for Inc. Magazine, and he also holds the distinction of being the most read columnist on Inc.com. He gets about one and a half million page views a month. He is a speaker, a ghostwriter, and he's recently finished his first book, The Motivation Myth. Jeff, I am thrilled to have you here on the show. Ah, happy to be here. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about this. Um, I, too, am a writer. I love talking to writers. Um, And I have to be honest with you, um, we set up this interview after one of my friends connected us, and your book made its way onto my pile of many, many books, and I did not start reading it right away busy this time of year in my business. And Shame on you. I know, I know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but I had I had so many things on my plate and I was like, oh, I have to read this book. But, you know, but, um, you know, when I finally got around to it, I couldn't put it down. It was fantastic. And I've already recommended it to several people. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate so, that. Yeah. You, you came or you went a long way around the barn, but you got to a good place. So thank you. <laughs> But it's absolutely true. I was a little worried there for a oh, while. I know, I know. No, I, I love the words. That. I have to admit are never. Uh, they, that's almost like uh, with all due respect. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> something that comes after that isn't so great. Well, no, it was great, and I, I do um, love your your you know how you break everything down, and make it really simple. And so, I'm wondering, can you just give the listeners a brief synopsis? of the book and what it's about. Wow. Um, asking me to do that is like, I guess, asking actors where their motivation came from for their parts. Uh, it, it could go on and on forever. Um, the, the basic premise was, if I can tell a little story, I was sitting with Venus Williams and I was interviewing her for Inc. And there, there was this moment that came over me where I realized, or I thought to myself, wow, she's just like me. Now, of course, she's beautiful and she's talented and she's incredibly athletic and all that stuff that I am not. But nonetheless, at, at the core, there's this premise that, or there's this perception we sometimes have where we think about people who are incredibly successful and we think that they have this special something inside that we don't have. And that doesn't turn out to be the case. No one that I have met and all the successful people that I've talked to had this lightning bolt of motivation that struck them at some certain age and that fueled them with all the passion and drive that they needed in order to achieve their goals. They're regular people who decided that something was interesting and decided to try it. And then the process of improving at that and getting a little bit better, which makes you feel good about yourself, which creates motivation, which makes you keep trying, that created this endless feedback loop of success and motivation and effort that caused them to reach really big heights. And so that moment of realizing that everybody that was incredibly successful that I had talked to basically took that same approach without whether they realized it or not, that was a pretty powerful thing because it means that if you want to do something or I want to do something, whoever wants to do something really big, you can do it and you can find the motivation you need in small little daily doses through effort and achievement. Um, so sorry for the long-winded approach, but that that was really the 
the inspiration behind the book is to say to people who have been sitting and waiting for that passion to strike or that motivation to strike or that purpose to somehow hit them, you don't have to wait. You can actually create it and you can create it so that it sustains you over the long period it takes to achieve something really big. Yeah, I think that the core message is so important. And I really loved your story about starting to write for ink.com, I guess, rather than the magazine. And you, um, correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong, but you were looking to, um, you, you were working as a ghostwriter and you're looking to increase your audience by, you know, just putting articles out there and people would find you and maybe hire you for ghostwriting. And then you realized you could make money if you <laughs> really increased your audience, but you were starting with right. like nothing. So how, right. what, what was that all about? Well, the, the, the idea, that was actually my wife's idea. The problem with being a ghostwriter is it's a little bit like Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you can't talk about Fight Club. And the first rule of ghostwriting is you can't talk about the people you've written for or any of your projects, which makes it really hard to market yourself. You know, because all you can really say is, uh, I'm good at this. and <laughs> You don't have anything to show. Uh, which isn't a particularly compelling argument or selling proposition. So I thought that having some stuff in my own name, actually my wife thought that, if people read it and thought, hey, that was pretty good and noticed I was a ghostwriter and needed a ghostwriter, that was a way for me to have some things to be able to show people that I actually did. Um, it turned out, though, that, and I don't know why, but I had I had a knack for finding an audience, and I realized that pretty quickly. And so then I realized that I could get paid for doing that as well. So yes, it is as if I get paid to advertise my services, which is really cool. Um, but in the process of figuring that out, I realized that if I wanted a big audience and I wanted to make more money, I had to create some kind of system that would reliably get me there. Uh, so I, I did... Basically, it's one of the chapters in my book. It's called Do What the Pros Do. But I looked around and said, okay, who has done this at the level I would like to achieve? And what did they actually do? Oftentimes, we make the mistake of thinking because we are unique and because we're individuals, we need some individual process or program that will get us to where we want to be. And that's really not the case. There are all kinds of perfectly good wheels out there that we don't need to reinvent. So I just found one that I thought, okay, that's what this person does. I'll adapt it a little bit for my audience and my approach, but I'm just going to do that and I will learn along the way. And as long as every day I do the things that I set out to do and I learn and adapt and revise as I go, I'm bound to get somewhere. I didn't know exactly where, but I knew I would get somewhere. Uh, and it turned out to be the case. And that is the case really for anything that you try to do that involves a period of time and a series of steps. If you deconstruct what someone else did and go backwards and say, okay, what process will get me there? What do I have to do on a daily basis in order to get there? You can do really, really cool things. It's the, it's the whole premise behind my stupid, I did 100,000 push-ups in a year one time, um, which I don't know if you were going to talk about or not, and I would prefer not to in a way because I've repressed that whole experience. Um, <laughs> but it, is, it, does, it does reflect the power of numbers and of that daily I'm going to sit, I've got a process and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work my process. It doesn't mean it's boring. It doesn't mean it's drudgery and it doesn't mean it's like a slavish approach. It just says there are certain things I can do that will consistently and reliably afford me some level of success. So why would I not do those things? Right. And, 
you know, knowing that they're going to lead to that, to, to some kind of result, to the result that you want over time, you know, it's so easy to talk ourselves out of going for it. You know, like when you started and you knew that you had to achieve or you wanted to achieve, I think it was one and a half million readers or, you know, however many, you know, you were going for well over a million to get your, you know, maximum payment from Inc.com. <laughs> And you were starting from nothing. And so a lot of people would quickly talk themselves out of even trying because it's, it's insurmountable. You know, it's a huge goal and or seemingly insurmountable. I shouldn't say it is because obviously you achieved this, but by, by breaking it down. And it seems like so often we do talk ourselves out of our big goals very quickly, you know, and, and just... Well, the, yeah, the, the problem there is that I think that and it's something else I talk about in the book, but the, the problem is the distance between here and there. <clears throat> so here is wherever you're starting and there is this impossibly, not impossibly, but improbably big goal that you want to achieve. If you think about where you are and you think of how far you have to go, it looks insurmountable and mm-hmm. it, it seems impossible. And so even if you do find a little bit of oomph that causes you to start, Within a couple of days, you pick up your head and you look out across that huge gulf and you say, wow, I'll never get there. Look at where I am now. And so you quit. So the, the key is with something like that, you set this big goal. Oh, well, let's use a marathon for an example. It's a simple one. If you've gone out and run, say you decide you want to run a marathon and you run a mile today. If you sit there afterwards and think, okay, I ran this mile and it was really, really hard and I barely made it. How am I ever going to do 26 you will quit. If you say to yourself, I want to run a marathon, that's my goal, but now what's the process I will follow to achieve it? If today the process was I need to run one mile because I'm just starting to get in shape, if you run that mile and you complete what you set out to do, you get to feel good about yourself because you did what you set out to do today. The 26 miles is irrelevant for now. Doesn't matter. You did what you set out to do today. That makes you feel good about yourself, and that means tomorrow, if you've got to run another mile, cool, you've got a little bit of motivation to say, okay, I'm going to do that. Feel good about doing it, move on to the next day. So it's almost like you set your big goal because that informs the process that you need to create to achieve it, but then you kind of forget your big goal. You let that just hang out there in the distance, do the work, let your daily doses of motivation fuel you, and then one day you can pop your head up like a little gopher and say, oh my gosh, I'm really close. (laughs) I'm really getting there. And then that motivates you as well. But, you know, the first article I did for Inc., I think 310 people read. It's a really big distance between 310 and a million. And so I just forgot the million and just said, okay, what do I do tomorrow? What do I do the next day? What do I do the next day? Let me keep doing the things that I feel certain will get me there. And, And, you know, what's funny is when you do that, even if, you don't get all the way to the goal you've wanted to achieve by doing your daily process and following the things you need to do, you're going to get a lot closer. But if you never start or if you quit, you don't get anywhere. So even if you only achieve 90% of a huge goal, that's a really big achievement. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're talking about these little chunks and them being, it being kind of fun when you achieve these little chunks. But 
Jeff, what about when it's not fun? You know, like <laughs> one of the things I like to talk about on this show is grit. Um, it's it's an important topic, and you know, it kind of it means when it, it means that ability to keep going when it's really it really sucks, you know, when it's really difficult and, and it feels like the world is against you and, you know, you just need to get your, you you just need to keep going and then you will get into a better place. But, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what about when it isn't fun? Very few things. I don't know. Nobody has, nobody lives the dream. (laughs) I, I, you know, people are always saying, Oh, I'm living the dream, but nobody actually lives the dream. There is some portion of everyone's work life no matter who you, Richard Branson, I'm sure, has to do drudgery stuff at one, once in a while. He has to. Um, so that's part of it. But that leads to the success that you're looking for. So I always tell people when they start something new that has a huge goal at the end, you have to give yourself at least a week and a half or two weeks. You have to promise yourself that I will try for that long because that early period when you're terrible at it and when you can't seem to improve and when nothing seems to be going for you, that's that tough time to keep finding your motivation. So you have to just say, I'm going to do this for two weeks, no matter what. And anyone can do anything for 10 days. I, you can. So that's the first part. And then when you get to the end of that period, there will be little things that you have started to do better that you can look at and say, you know what? I am improving. That does feel good to me. The key though, in a long-term kind of a perspective is you have to separate the I want to build a $5 million business, which may be your huge goal. And you have to bring it down to what are the processes that will get me there on a daily basis and find ways to feel good about accomplishing those processes, because that gives you that motivation to keep going. Again, it it goes back to the distance between here and there. And when, like when you said, when things suck, usually you let them suck in your mind because you're thinking about how far you have to go. But if your job, let me tell uh, a quick story. Uh, I met two ladies that had a startup and they were trying to land customers and they were complaining because they said, you know, it seems like we have to make 10 sales calls to get one customer. And that's terrible. And I said, well, you know, but on the other hand, how many new customers do you need this month? And they said, like five. So I said, okay, well, what that means is you have to make 50 calls. And they kind of looked at me like I was crazy, but I said, you know, if that is the number that seems to work with you on a success rate, then you know what you have to do. If you need five new customers, you're probably gonna have to make 50 calls. Now maybe that's not perfect, but it's close. And in the process of making those 50 calls, you're going to get better at it, you're going to learn from it, you're gonna change your approach, you're gonna be more skilled at closing, you're going to get better and hopefully your rate of return will be better. But nonetheless, if that's what you need, then that's what you have to do. When I first started ghostwriting, I didn't get paid very well because I had no, I had no credibility. I had, I had nothing. So I wasn't making very much money, but I had a monthly amount that I needed to make in order to feed my family. So I just backed away from that and said, okay, what all do I have to accomplish in order to get to that number? And yeah, it meant working 12, 14 hour days and six or seven days a week, but I knew what I had to do. So now that I think about it, I probably didn't answer your question, but the key (laughs) is to find, the key is to find small things within what it is you are doing that you can feel good about. And for me, usually that's just saying to myself, here's what I've decided I want to do today. And if I do those things and I accomplish that, at the end of the day, you can look back and say, I worked hard. I did the things I set out to do. 
And that always feels good. It's that front porch syndrome. When you sit down and you've had a long day and you've kind of relaxed a little bit, usually you feel best about yourself when you did the things you told yourself you were going to do that day. And we feel bad about ourselves when we don't. So if you can use that as your motivation to just, here's what I've set out to do and I'm going to do it. When you have done that, that gets you through the hard times. That gets me through the hard times anyway. So are you the kind of writer, I assume you apply this to your writing and you know, are disciplined mm-hmm. about that. Do you have certain times of day? Are you one of those people that says, I'm answering my email from 7 to 7.30 and then I'm writing from 7.30 to 8.30 and then I'm going to the gym? Like, Do you really plan it out like that? Or are you not, more... Not, not, quite that, not quite that specific, but what, the one thing I do is, you know, my commute is two flights of stairs. So it's not a very tough commute. So I'm usually up and sitting and working within like 10 minutes. And I know, I know, I didn't take a shower. I do that later. But I that starting right away is really important for me in terms of process. And I also lay out the night before what it is that I most want to accomplish the next day, and I work on that first. So when I get up, I have exactly what I'm going to do. I have any materials I might need. I have everything set up so that there are no real barriers or level of resistance to me starting what's most important to me. And then I sit down and do it. So don't check email. I I don't do anything. I do what that is. Now, if it's a five-hour task, obviously I have to break it down a little bit. But nonetheless, that's what I do first. And by sitting down and getting going, that creates this cool momentum because if I do that important thing, then I feel good about having done it. It's important to my business, obviously, but it also feels good to me. And that sets this nice little motivation and and kind of, I I lost track of what word I should use, but it, it creates this momentum, there's no word, that takes me into whatever's next. If I start the day slow, and kind of piddle around on email or, or whatever, it's really hard for me to dive into something that's, that requires some effort and focus. So I do that. Then I do have other things that I've laid out for the day, but I'll be a little more flexible as the day goes on. So if I plan to do three things before I go work out and one of them took me a little bit longer, I may adapt and I may adjust. But nonetheless, the scope of things that I laid out for the day, I make sure that I get those done before I do other stuff. So if going to the gym was one of my things, even if it's six o'clock before I get to go to the gym, that's okay, I'm still going to go to the gym. So I've found that if I do that, that keeps me rolling every day. But if I get too flexible with it, then I'm not the kind of person that can just instantly recover and get back on track, which is a failing I know, but that's, I've, I've figured that out about myself. And really that's all that matters. You have to just look at yourself and say, okay, I have these personality traits and I have some quirks, but if I figure out what a perfect day looks like for me in terms of how I can be most productive, then your job is to craft your day as best you can so that you always have as many perfect days as you can. And why wouldn't you do that? Why not indeed? No, I think that there's there's a lot of good tips coming out of this conversation, which I really appreciate. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was this idea that you know, we humans have some kind of a purpose here on earth and you kind of debunk this in the book. You're like, no, you know, we don't have one purpose. We have lots of purposes, which, you know, I can accept that. I get that. But personally, I think that um, we're all given certain, you know, gifts that we're good at things and we're drawn to doing things. We're passionate about certain things. And um, 
to me, that kind of is in line with whatever this purpose is. Like to me, you maybe are supposed to share your gifts through writing. You know, maybe that's your thing. And um, other people, maybe it's music or, you know, something else. And I, I just wonder, you, you know, how important is it to identify your purpose? I mean, do people get hung up on trying to figure out that big thing and then they get paralyzed and they don't do anything? Is that kind of where you were going with that? Or, or do you just think that we don't have a purpose or specific, you know, gifts? Wow. You know, you've, I, got, you've gotten you've gotten very deep on me, and I'm not that deep, but I'll try. I'll give it well, a go. I will, I will, I'll try to the... shed. I'll try to shed my shallowness, and I'll give it a try. Okay. Um, the, what you're kind of talking about, or at least that I wrote about, is the concept of being a serial achiever, mm-hmm. which I think is different from having an overriding purpose. I meet a lot of people who don't want to start anything big because they think that that has to be their life's work and is the only thing that they can ever do. And that even relates to like a hobby or a personal pursuit. You know, if I, if I start this, I'm going to invest all this time in it. And so I have to do it the rest of my life. And I don't think that's the case. I think you can set out to do one thing and you can work really hard at it for four or five years and you can achieve some level of success, however you choose to define success. And then one day look around and say, you know, that was really fun and I got a lot out of it. But now I think I would like to do that. And that's okay because you take all those experiences with you to your next pursuit and you take all the, the personal skills that you've developed and you apply it to the next thing. So I think you can be four or five or six things. Venus Williams, again, is a great example. She's a clearly a world-class tennis player, but she's also an entrepreneur and she's a designer and she's a student and she's an and. She's, like what I, she's what I like to call an and. She's a person that does multiple things. And I think that's okay. She would probably, I didn't ask her, but she would probably be able to wrap all those up under some umbrella that is an an overriding theme or purpose, but they're separate achievements. So I think, I think that the key is to say, you know, like if you were, if you feel like your purpose was to help other people, there are a variety of ways that you can accomplish that. And you don't have to just pick one and carry that through your whole life. You could start out being a teacher You could decide that you want to run a little side business because you want to try that. You may become an entrepreneur that helps other people. You could then go from that to doing something else. So your overriding purpose could still be, I want to help other people, but the means with which you achieve that can adapt and change over time. And you could be a serial achiever who does those things. So, and I think that's where people get hung up. If someone sits and say, Hey, I, I, I really want to be of service to others. Well, you don't have to pick just one thing that you will do the rest of your life. You can pick one that interests you, explore it, get good at it, get fulfillment from helping other people. And then at some point you might find yourself at a crossroads to say, okay, this was a really good path, but this one over here would be even better. And I'm going to do that. And it's okay to switch and go do that other thing. You can be an and if you want to be. Oh, I like that. You can be an and. And I like, you wrote in the book, um, happiness is a process, not a destination. Happiness comes from the process, not the destination. And I love that because I think there are people that are under the impression that, you know, once I get, once I get that boyfriend, I'll be happy. Once I make my million dollars, I'll be happy. Once I, you know, fill in the blank with whatever. 
and it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I was, I, I'm not sure if your audience is familiar with him, but I was talking to Kirk Hammett. He's the, he's the guitarist in Metallica. They're a 40 years successful band, just sold out stadiums around the world again, which is kind of, aside from them and the Rolling Stones and maybe you too, that's, that's an unheard of level of long-term success. So I was talking to him and he doesn't see himself as a rock star and he actually doesn't, he never set out to be a rock star. He is one, but that wasn't what he was looking for. And, and he was telling me about guys he knows that became rock stars and that's what they've set out to be. But that's like your million dollars or, or marry your true love or whatever else it is. That was some destination. And then they looked around and said, well, okay, I'm a rock star, but this isn't particularly fulfilling. He sees himself as a musician and he loves to play and he loves to play in his band. So if he gets to do that in front of 100 people or 50,000 people, he's still happy because that's the thing that he most likes to do. And so for him getting to get up every day and either make music or go play or whatever else he does, that's a process. That's, that's a daily thing that makes him feel happy and feel good about himself. That destination of I'm a rock star, that wasn't what he was looking for. So you're exactly right. The, the way to be happy is not to set up for some goal that you think will fulfill you and make you happy forever, but to find ways to enjoy the journey to that goal. And then, like I said, about being a serial achiever, and then maybe you pick another goal and you enjoy that journey. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's the whole, what is the, what's the study that if you make over $70,000 a year, then it doesn't increase your level of happiness. Like $70,000 is kind of that threshold where making more doesn't make you happy and it's other things. And that's true, whether it's a bigger house or a better car or whatever, all those little achievement things are, are momentary and they're kind of fleeting, but the day to day, that's where you get your happiness and fulfillment from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for, for that. Um, yeah. How often do you get to talk about a heavy metal band? Frank? I love that example. That's a really good one. And it's, it's a great, you know, that and the Venus Williams, you know, great reminders. And um, I think so often we get fixated on that goal, you know, and it's, it's really not, you know, we're, we're on this great adventure called life. And, and that's, in my view, that's what it's about. It's, you know, what, what cool things can I do today? And, you know, how can I contribute or what, what, how can I, what can I explore? How can I grow? And, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's yeah, every, everyone that I've talked to that has a long career at something and who has had su sustained success, they're not, they don't look at it as, as the destination part of it. They're, they find the fun. Uh, do you remember Terminator 2? Do you remember that with Arnold Schwarzenegger? And the, the, the Terminator was like this liquid metal thing that would morph through stuff. The actor that played that or played the character is Robert Patrick, and he still does stuff. Um, and I talked to him, and he says the biggest kick he gets out of acting is not the seeing it on screen or that other stuff. He likes showing up to the set and hanging around with all the people who help create these things because that's the really fun part. And he says, so whenever I get a new job, that's the cool part because I know I get to go and hang out with these really cool people. So that's a daily process thing for him, not some destination. And it's probably why he's lasted in a profession that careers are tend to, tend to be months and years, not decades, uh, because he likes the process. So that's, that's probably my best advice for people who are trying to be happier. 
you know, it's so trite, but if you, if you can find happiness in the things that you do instead of the things that you want, then you're golden. And, you know, I think, like, focusing on the process or the adventure of it all, I think also can help when you do experience a so-called setback or things don't go exactly the way you want. A lot of times those turn into interesting puzzles and opportunities. Yeah, I not... And, and again, you know, some, sometimes people say, what is it, that speakers are, are actually speaking to themselves and writers are actually writing for themselves. So I, I could write this book, but that doesn't mean that everything in there I'm perfect at doing. And so if my book doesn't do particularly well, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> I'm hoping that it does well and I'm hoping that people really like it. But I enjoyed doing it and I enjoyed meeting all the people that I talked to in the process of that. And so if this one doesn't do particularly well, I'm going to try to write another one, not because I want to be a bestseller, although that would be cool, but because I like doing it. I like meeting the people. I like thinking the thoughts. I like being exposed to other perspectives and viewpoints. I really enjoy that part of it. The book is kind of a product of the journey that you described. The book isn't the destination. The book, is, the book just happens because of that journey. Um, and so I, I, again, that's, I know I'm beating this horse to death, but if you can find joy in the process, then the small setbacks or even the big, big setbacks won't derail you for long because you can go back to what it is you really like doing, which is the process. So I, I know several budding entrepreneurs who, you know, would like to start a business, um, following something that they are passionate about, but they're in this position of still needing their day job and, you know, so on and so forth. So do you have any advice for people like that that are looking to make a transition but are not quite ready to cut the cord of not having any income just yet? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what I did. I worked in manufacturing for 20 years, and when I decided I wanted to write, I, I, kept, I ran a manufacturing plant. So I had a, a good, solid, and very demanding job. So I didn't just quit. Um, I started doing nights. I worked on weekends. I, I used all my spare time to try to build my writing business so that I would feel comfortable saying, okay, I'm in a spot now where I can let that go. Uh, there is a school of thought that says that if you really want to do it, then you'll just quit and throw yourself into it wholeheartedly. And I think that sounds great on paper and it sounds terrible when you have a family at home that depends on you. And so my advice would be pick whatever it is you want to do and start chipping away at it. Get yourself set up. Land. If you want to be a consultant, that's an easy example. Land your first customer. Land your second customer. Do the work. Get some results. Figure out the process and figure out how it is that you're going to make a success of it. And one day, if you keep working at it, you'll wake up and realize that, okay, I've got a decision to make. I've got enough work here on the side that I can actually make a go with this. And am I ready to step in and do that? But the big key is that you have to be willing to change what your daily life is in order to start something else. You can't live the exact same life, do the exact same things, have the same hobbies and interests and leisure time and all that stuff. You can't do both. It doesn't happen. So you have to say, all right, what am I willing to give up because I, am feel, because I feel strongly about pursuing whatever this side hustle or side gig might be? And you have to change your, your day. Uh, that's not as hard as it seems. That whole concept of me time, I think it is important to have me time, 
But if you in your head convert me time into my side business time and that becomes your me time and you get fulfillment from that, which hopefully you will because otherwise why are you doing it, then you'll find that you're willing to spend that time on it. Did that make sense? It, it totally makes sense. And I think one of the reasons I love your message so much is that it kind of eliminates a lot of excuses that people use. And um, I had jotted down something in my notes about the political climate. And a lot of people are like, well, it's so crazy these days. You know, I'll just wait until it's not. Or, And I oh, think, no. you know, it's so easy to talk ourselves out of doing something yet life is short, you know, and, and I, I just really appreciate that you do break it down into these simple steps and, and achievable steps to, to, you know, just keep whittling away at it. Yeah. My, my big point with that is that I think all of us can sit, I know I can, I can think about something that I thought about doing five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I have all kinds of examples of things I thought, wow, this would be really cool to do. And yet I talked myself out of it and I can look back and say, you know, if I had actually started that, where I would be today with whatever that may be, you know, and it could be something as, as personal as, you know, learning to play an instrument or something like that. But think of where you would be if you had just started. Um, what's the old joke there? You know, there is no perfect time to have a baby. <laughs> you just have a baby and you, then you work it out. And there is never going to be a perfect time to start a business or change careers or go back to school. None of that is perfect. You can make it perfect by saying, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. And if roadblocks and challenges come along, I'm going to trust that if nothing else, I will work hard enough to overcome those. There are very few things that you can't overcome if you are willing to put in the effort. And if I think about regrets that I have, there are a few things that I regret that I have done, but there are a lot more things that I regret that I never tried to do. And so I use that as kind of the back or as your front porch analogy again. When you're older and you're sitting on your front porch and, you know, your life is almost over and you're looking back, you will probably regret the things that you didn't try to do way more than the things that you did do that didn't turn out well, because you can always overcome a mistake, but you can never get past something that you never even tried to do. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, I, I, I think that's an important message, too, that personally I try to follow as much as possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, but thanks for the reminder. It's always good um, to well, hear that a, message. Here's a, here's a good way to, to say for entrepreneurs, if you're sitting there thinking, hey, this is not a good time to, to start a business for whatever the external reasons might be, I've talked to – very successful entrepreneurs who started their business, you know, like a month before 9-11 mm -hmm, <laughs> or, or, or they started uh, an online company two months before the dot-com crash. I, it happened. You can't control all the external stuff. All you can control is your part of it. And actually there are opportunities out there when times are tough because lots of people are shrinking away and saying, Oh, Here's my excuse for not to do that. And if you can find excuses to do that, then you're so much farther ahead of those people. So what is it? Uncertainty is is kind of the, the mother of invention. And this there the only perfect time to start something is right now. Amen. Amen, Jeff. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Um we unfortunately we're out of time. Um is there any last 
thought you wanted to leave us with or you know, I think we had a lot of great uh, content uh, here. I have I have barraged you with philosophical stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, I totally so I, yeah, I guess great. if there's I guess if there's anything I was gonna leave, it is that you know, I, I'm lucky enough to talk to dozens of incredibly successful people in a wide variety of fields. And they are not that different from you and I. The main difference is that they started and they tried and they kept trying. And so if you feel that you're on the downside of advantage, you feel that you don't have the connections or the education or the experience or the money or whatever things you think you're lacking, if you feel that is true, and it may be, that's okay, because it is possible. And look at the people who have succeeded and just say, you know what? They don't have anything that I don't have. I'm going to try to get there too. It's all in the effort. Planning is great. Execution is everything. But it all starts with you actually starting. Yep, starting and taking that consistent action. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was really great talking to you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I I, I rarely get to pretend to be Socrates, um, and I'm sure <laughs> I failed miserably, but that's okay. It was no. fun. It was great. And thank you all for listening to today's show. My guest was Jeff Hayden. His new book, The Motivation Myth, was just released. You'll find links to purchase that book, as well as links to Jeff's website and social media pages on our website, readysecret.com. Thanks again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on turning your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions, real results.